Good morning to you as well online. I'm glad you're joining with us uh, this morning. Uh, you might think of Carl this weekend. Carl and his family are uh, with extended family and they are uh, together to celebrate uh, the life of his beloved grandpa who died uh, several, several months ago. So you might keep him in your thoughts and prayers this weekend. Uh, this is the first of four Sundays that we will be taking to look at uh, the mission statement uh, of Centennial Covenant Church. And David has put together this great looking slide and, and we're framing the uh, mission statement with the words, we are. Um, so we are glorifying God by following Jesus on a shared journey, right? On a shared journey of transformation in his mission to our broken world. Now, some of you spent a good bit of time uh, crafting this uh, mission statement. And for others of you, it might be brand new. You're hearing it, seeing it for the first time. So over the next four weeks, we're going to take uh, different aspects of this mission statement and explore them a little deeper. And so this morning, uh, we would like to look at uh, the first part of that uh, mission statement, which is to glorify God by following Jesus. Now, the word glorify is not typically we use in our everyday language or culture. Um, you might think about the last time that you used it. I, I had a hard time coming up with that example. But if we were to go into Scripture, we would find that the word glorify is used quite often. And the term or the theme is often in reference to God. Uh, one of the heroes of the Old Testament, King David, said, my lips will glorify you. And he said, glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. That's a particular meaningful phrase to Shannon and me, because just over about 34 years ago, I had that reference, Psalm 34.3, inscribed in her wedding ring. As she told me the other day, it's, it's been rubbed off. <laughs> but, that, but that's okay. That means it's been well-worn, right? Another king in the Old Testament, one who was uh, um, no hero to the Jews, infamous uh, really, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar said, I will exalt and glorify the Lord because his ways are just. Move to the New Testament and a stalwart there. The Apostle Paul talks about having one mind and one voice to glorify God. But it's not just kings and it's not just apostles. It's also commoners. Think about the Christmas story. Uh, the shepherds were out guarding their sheep and guarding their flocks at night. And what happened? The angels came upon them and gave them the good news that a Savior had been born. And Luke writes that when they returned home from seeing Mary and Joseph and Jesus, they returned home glorifying God for all that they had seen and heard. We can see from these examples that to glorify God means to give Him honor and to give Him praise. But this morning I'd like to look at one little slightly different angle on this. And I'd like to ask the question, well, how does God want to be honored? 
How does God want to be praised? And to put it even more simply, I think I would ask this question. What pleases God? Again, we could turn to snapshots in, in, in Scripture and we can find different things about what it means to please God. It pleases God when a person comes to Him with a broken and contrite heart. It pleases God when a person trusts in Him and is willing to uproot his family and move from one country to another. It pleases God when a person sings songs even though they are shackled in a prison cell. It pleases God when a person cries out in their anguish and asks Him for a child. It pleases God when a person listens to Jesus. That's an interesting one. It pleases God when a person listens to Jesus. In other words, it pleases Him even though the response isn't linked one-to-one with Him. Earlier this summer, um, my daughter Rachel and her husband Matt invited our son Nathan, who's home from college for the summer, over for dinner. Uh, It was just going to be the three of them. We were not included. (laughs) There's a condition that maybe 50% of us, maybe more. uh, Actually, Rebecca talked about this condition uh, three weeks ago. I don't know if you remember. Uh, It's called FOMO, right? Fear of missing out. And for some of you, it just kills you when you can't be involved in something or you can't participate or you weren't included. And then there's others of us that say, what's the big deal? I get alone time. Well, back to the dinner. You know, Shannon and I were not disappointed. Uh, We did not suffer from FOMO. Actually, we were pleased. I was pleased as a dad that my grown kids were getting together. It pleased Shannon and me as parents that they were joining together, having fun, having a dinner. They were in community. So I bring that up even as an imperfect analogy to say that it's possible for someone to be pleased even though the response or the action is not linked directly one-to-one. So too, I think God is pleased when people follow Jesus. Well, where does this idea come from that God is pleased when people listen to Jesus? I want to take you in your Bibles to the uh, second letter of the Apostle Peter. And in the second letter of the Apostle Peter, in chapter 1, we see that Peter is toward the end of his life. In fact, he says, I'm about to leave this tent of a body. And so he knows he's at the end of his life, and he wants to make sure that he's passing on important things. And he says in verse 16 of chapter 1, for we, did not, for we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. 
He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves have heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. Peter is remembering and recalling a time when Jesus took him and James and John up to a high mountain. And then when they were there all alone, all of a sudden, uh, Jesus' appearance started to change and his clothes became dazzling white. And this voice came, to, came from heaven and said, this is my son whom I love. And Peter, all of a sudden, didn't know what to do. He was frightened and, and, and awestruck, and, and he just started talking and coming up with the, all these different ideas. Uh, maybe you know someone like that, or maybe yourself, you're, you're like that yourself, where you get so amped up, so hyped up, that you just start yakking and not always making sense. Well, it's interesting here in 2 Peter, Peter doesn't bring up that part of the story. He brings up the other part of the story where he says, we heard this voice from heaven and it said, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. Uh, in the book of Mark, which, where Peter had a lot of influence, we, we get some more context to this uh, event that happened when Peter and James and John were up on, on this mountain with Jesus. In Mark chapter 9, verse 7, it said, Then a cloud appeared and covered them. And a voice came from the cloud and said, This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Listen to him. To the one whom I am pleased. We can say that I think we can say with certainty that, that God is pleased when a person listens to Jesus. Well, everything Jesus said is worth listening to. And we are blessed to have so much of what Jesus said and taught in our scriptures. But I, I, if I may be so bold, I, I'd like to suggest there might be one phrase that Jesus said that might just rise close to the top, maybe. And it's only three words. And he said these words to Peter, and he extends these words to you and to me. In the book of Matthew, chapter 4, we find these words. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said. Three words. Come, follow me. You know, as I'm thinking about Peter, as he's collecting and capturing his thoughts, as he's writing his second letter, he's thinking back to this significant event where this voice from heaven says, listen to him. I wonder if Peter thinks back in his life to these three words. When Jesus says, come, follow me. 
he could, he could maybe even think about it as if it just happened yesterday. You ever have like a, a word or a phrase that, that maybe uh, came to you from either your mom or your, or your father or maybe a preacher or a teacher or, or, or maybe even one of your kids said something out of the blue one day and it just stuck with you? And, and that's one of those things that when you hear phrases, certain things that were, have been passed on to you, you just remember it for the rest of your life. And whenever it keeps coming up, I think it's easy to just start to go back to when that happened. And I think if we were to visit Peter at that time or whatever state it was or wherever he was and said, Peter, what was that like? And, and Peter, what did it mean to follow Jesus? What, what was it like? And I think that's what we want to explore today is what does it mean to follow Jesus? I think Peter could take us back to that day. You know, it was a it was a morning, probably like most other mornings. Peter going about his business as a fisherman, working on nets, preparing the boats, getting the crew together. I don't know. I'm not a fisherman. I have no idea. But you get the idea of what they're doing. But the previous night had not gone so well. In fact, it was quite frustrating. It was one of those nights where Peter and his brother Andrew and their business partners, James and John, went out onto the lake and they started casting and casting and casting, yet they captured nothing. Hour after hour of doing this. If you have worked in sales, or maybe in the past you worked in sales, you know that there's that inevitable period of time in sales where you get no after no after no. Lots of effort, little success. And for Peter and the others, there was lots of effort, but there was no success. What's well, interesting that day, Jesus was also in the area. And Luke tells us that he was nearby and he was teaching and uh, teaching to the crowds. And to get a better vantage point, he, he notices Peter over here and he says, Peter, can I borrow your boat? And he sits in the boat so that he can have a better vantage point to talk to the crowds. Well, those of you familiar with the story, after he gets finished teaching, what's he do? He, he turns to Peter, a carpenter, turns to a fisherman and says, let's go out and catch some fish. Well, I don't know, if you're like Peter and you've had a frustrating evening on the job, you might not be so ready to go back out especially if a carpenter's telling you to. <laughs> you may need time to go home and freshen up or to mentally gear up for the next night of, or the next shift that you have to go out. But yet Peter agreed. And they go out on the lake and they don't just catch fish. They catch a ton of fish. They were netting fish left and right. They were pouring into the boat. And you can imagine that scene, high fives going I don't know if they did high fives back then, but high fives going around, there's whooping and hollering, and this excitement level is just off the charts. And they have to figure out how to wait to make their way back to shore because the boats are getting heavy with all the fish. But something happened at the core of Peter's being 
between the time of catching the fish and getting to shore. It caught him to the core so that when he got on the shore, he fell at Jesus' feet and he says, Lord, go away from me. I'm a sinful man. I think at that moment, Peter recognized Jesus' majesty and his own smallness. I think at that moment, Peter recognized Jesus' authority and his own shortcomings. And I think at that moment, Peter realized his need for a Savior. I think if we were to ask Peter, what does it mean to follow Jesus? I think one of the first things he would say is to place your faith in him. I think for maybe most of us in this room, we can think back to a specific time or a specific season in life where you placed your faith in Christ. Uh, But there may be someone here today, maybe someone listening online that you have not gotten to that point yet. And I would say, do you hear Jesus' call? It's just three words. Come follow me. And I would encourage you to make that decision today. Answer that call. There may be someone else that says, I have thought about it, but I'll do it tomorrow. Maybe next week. Later next, next month. One of the stations I like to listen to on my Spotify music app is uh, Zach Brown Radio few nods. Okay. Some of you know who he is. Doesn't matter. One of the songs that uh, Zach Brown sings is called No Hurry. And the common refrain of the song is, because I ain't in no hurry today. And he talks about all the things that are building up in life or the responsibilities that you have or the things you're thinking about. But you know what? They can be put off till tomorrow because I ain't in no hurry. It's interesting, in one of the verses of the, of the song, there is kind of a spiritual element because the, uh, the singer realizes there's a reckoning coming between him and the Lord. He's got to get right with the Lord. But interestingly, he says, but I ain't in no hurry today. Please don't follow the logic of that song. <laughs> now is the time. We can't think about what will happen tomorrow or next week or later next month. If anything, the last 20 20 months have taught us that. You know, a distraught jailer once came to the Apostle Paul and he says, what must I do to be saved? And Paul had a simple answer. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Yeah. And, And that's what he calls us to today. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Perhaps you might pause and say a prayer like this. Jesus, I believe and trust in you. Thank you for what you have done for me. I admit my own shortcomings and my own sin. And I ask you to come into my life as my Savior. you said that prayer this morning, welcome, welcome, welcome to the family of Jesus. 
and we'd like to know. Please take a moment and email or call the church office, and we'd be happy to get in touch with you. If we were to ask Peter, what does it mean to follow Jesus? He would say, place your faith in him. You know, after Jesus called the disciple, the, the, that crew there along the waters, it says in Luke that they pulled their boats up on shore, they left everything, and they followed him. It was to be quite an incredible journey. So Peter would say, place your faith in Jesus. Follow him. That's what it means to follow him. He would also say, stay focused on him. You know, Peter could take us back to this very same body of water, and he could provide another example of what it means to stay focused on Jesus. Uh, One evening, after a long day of, an exciting day of of working alongside Jesus and and, um, helping him in in ministry, uh, the disciples got into a boat, maybe on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee, and they uh, charted a course north-northwest from there and uh, to Bethsaida. Jesus told the disciples, hey, I want you to go on to Bethsaida. And the implication is that he would then follow up with them or or meet them at that that point. So the disciples get in the boat and they push off and and what happens? Uh, All of a sudden it's getting dark and all of a sudden uh, winds start picking up and and they are derailed and they end up in uh, in in kind of a storm. Well, Matthew chapter 14 uh, picks up the rest of the story. Matthew chapter 14, verse 25. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. And when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they cried, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come out to you on the water. And come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? This is incredible. Within a very short period of time, we have two extremes, right? We have the exhilaration of Peter walking on water, followed by Peter and the stress of floundering in his faith. Perhaps you can identify with that, the fickle nature of faith, sometimes really strong sometimes a mess. It's interesting. As soon as Jesus said, take courage, Peter did. It didn't take wrong, right? And you can imagine, let's put ourselves back in the boat here. They've, they've been struggling and struggling and struggling. And all of a sudden, their heart rates probably shot off the charts because all of a sudden, they think they see a ghost walking toward them on the water. But as soon as Jesus says, take courage, it is I. What's Peter do? He says, Lord, if it's you... Let me come out. I don't know about you, but that takes a lot of risk. That takes courage. That takes boldness. I don't know if I have that same 
boldness. And Peter starts walking out to him. I don't know, when you're focused your focus is locked in on Jesus. It's amazing the amount of uh, uh, spiritual um, confidence, the amount of spiritual courage, the amount of spiritual clarity and perspective that you have. But then there's that other side of things, the floundering side. When Peter saw the wind, right, he began to sink and asked for help. And immediately Jesus raised, reached out his hand and grabbed him and said, why did you doubt? It's interesting that the word doubt here is tied to a believer. One who just seconds before had supreme confidence in Jesus and was so focused on him that he could walk on water. And yet, the floundering comes because he took his eyes off and started to focus on other things. You know, that's typical for, uh, for all of us, right? We start to focus on, on, these, on other things. We, we focus on circumstances. We focus on trials. We focus on the unknowns. And fear sets in. And it's no wonder that we start to flounder in our faith. I think when we start to flounder in our faith, one thing to keep in mind to do is, is maybe to get back to the basics. It was three years ago, this, this very week, in fact, I didn't realize that until I started uh, prepping, that I was uh, playing basketball on a Friday morning like I normally did. And I went to get a pass, and I planted my foot, and the next thing I know, I was on the ground, writhing in pain, holding my knee. When I went to the doctor uh, a few days later, he said, we don't even need to take an MRI. Your ACL is shot. So, what do you do? You get sur- plan on getting surgery, so three weeks later we had surgery. What follows surgery is physical therapy, and then after physical therapy there's the waiting period, and finally about a year later I got back onto the basketball court. But it just, it just wasn't right. I had no confidence in this guy. Even though I'd been through lots of rehab, there was little confidence in my knee. So I decided at that point, I need to go back to physical therapy. I need to go back and and brush up on the exercises and commit myself to the exercises again. And even though, you know, I knew my tendon was strong there, it just took time. But going back to the basics of rehab and doing that all over again and then getting back on the court a second time, it made the world of a difference. My confidence was up. It was high. Sometimes we need to get back to the basics. Sometimes the basics are what helps a floundering faith get back on its feet. Well, one of the basics is to really focus on who Jesus is and his character. You know, I like to um, take some words and I like to recite them and and in prayer and ponder them. But I, but I use the alphabet to help me, to help me out, you know? Uh, so I might say, Jesus, you are abounding in love. Jesus, you are compassionate and you're faithful 
and you're forgiving. Jesus, you are good and you are great and you are gracious. Jesus, you are near and you promise your presence. Jesus, you are rich in love. You are slow to anger. You are trustworthy. And so even though I go through, go through all of that, it's not so much that my circumstances would disappear, but it's a reset of my perspective. It's a reset of my expectations. You know, we were talking a little bit about what causes doubt. We talked about circumstances, it could be trials, it could be the unknown, it could be fear. You know what's a big catalyst of doubt? Expectation. Go back with me a minute uh, to the disciples getting in the boat. Jesus pushes them off, they're on their way. They probably thought about, since it was evening, they probably thought about, hey, we'd hug the shoreline and we'd eventually get to our destination. Well, it didn't take long, right? For the darkness set in and then all of a sudden, strong winds descended on them. And after rowing and rowing and with sore arms, strong winds, and then time, several hours, they find themselves in the middle of the lake. And not only that, oh, by the way, it's the middle of the night. And that's, if that isn't a metaphor for life, I don't know what is, right? Expectations often go sideways. Dreams die. Reality doesn't live up to our hopes. And when those things start to set in, life just stinks. Frustration builds up, resentment builds up, and often the recipient of those things are those close to us and or Jesus. Expectation, like a lot of things, can cause our faith to flounder. And I don't know if, about you, but I know when my faith flounders, a spiritual confusion, spiritual doubt sets in. It's those times that we need to say, how do we go back to basics? What is it to go back to basics? I mentioned something that works for me to go back to basics. Let me ask you, what are the things that help you get back to basics? Well, for some of you, you love to sing. Maybe it's a song that needs to get back into your heart. A song and sing to Jesus, you are my way maker. You're my promise keeper. You're my miracle worker. You're a light in shining darkness. For others, it might be solitude. Getting alone time, just you and Jesus. Or maybe you're someone that needs to jump back into a Bible study to get reconnected with Scripture or to join a life group and get reconnected with others, believers. It's great when our faith is focused on Jesus. And if that's the case for you today, I would say keep on walking toward Him. And if your faith is floundering a little bit, get back to basics. Reset your perspective. Reset your expectations. Peter would say, 
that to follow Jesus, we need to place our faith in him. He would also say that we need to stay focused on him. I think he would also tell us to serve freely. You think back of all the things we've talked about, Peter remembering, remembering, recalling, right? He also remembers seeing Jesus in action in terms of service. You know, he watched Jesus bless kids. He watched Jesus heal the hurting. He watched Jesus interact with the outcasts. And he also watched as Jesus served the disciples. You know, one night at dinner, Jesus got up and with a towel and a water basin, he started to go around the table and to wash and dry the disciples' feet. And I can imagine Peter sitting there wide-eyed thinking as Jesus starts at the one end of the table and maybe it's with Andrew and then John and then maybe he moved next to Nathaniel and Philip and James was after that and maybe Matthew was next. Then it was his turn. And Peter said, no, Lord, you, you shouldn't be doing this. I thought it was beneath him. And Jesus says, no, I, your Lord, have, am washing your feet. So now you need to wash one another's feet. I've set you an example so that you may do likewise. I wonder if this, that event of Jesus washing his feet influenced Peter's thoughts as he sat and wrote in 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others. As faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. I really appreciate this verse because it is very open-ended and it is full of possibilities. Peter is saying that each of us have received a gift, a, a spiritual calling, a spiritual talent, a spiritual ability, and we're to use it to serve others others. As I look around this room, so many of you serve so well. Some of you are out front, some of you are alongside, many behind the scenes. This morning, know and hear this, that your service honors Jesus. Jesus is pleased with your service. Some of you are serving even as you battle life's challenges. God's blessing on you. Then there may be others of you that are just wondering, maybe feeling prompted to serve but not sure how or where or what to do. We didn't talk about the service this morning and David bringing up the card on your chairs and, and all, but this ties in very nicely. If you're maybe wondering about how to serve or where to serve or what to serve, think about this. Um, ha have any of you counted the number of intersections 
between your home and church? Well, of course not. Who would do such a thing? Well, depending on, yes, you're counting already. De depending on <laughs> which way I come, it's either six or seven. I live pretty close. But intersections are where streets come together. Intersections are where life comes together. Uh, intersections are where life and service converge. Um, so when you go home today or next time you're out um, and you're in an intersection, you know, you might think about one area of your life. And you might be open to the Holy Spirit prompting to whether you should serve in that area or not. Peter says, use whatever gift you have to serve others. There's so many possibilities. Uh, you may be a mom whose kids are all grown. But you have a heart for mothers that have young kids. Mops may be a place for you to serve. Uh, you have uh, uh, an encouraging heart and you're very empathetic. The care team might be able to use you. There are just all sorts of possibilities. So ask yourself, where does life and where does the opportunity to serve intersect in my world? You can look at the cards on the table and you can see, you can ponder and, and reflect on those. There's just all sorts of possibilities. Why do we serve? We serve because we are called to. We serve because uh, the, the one we follow, Jesus, set that example. Um, by serving, we, we get out of our own selves. We get out of self-centeredness. And serving others, you know, builds instead of divides. Serving others heals instead of hurts. Serving others lifts instead of lowers. What does it mean to follow Jesus? It means that we need to place our faith in him. What does it mean to follow Jesus? It means to stay focused on him. And it means to serve freely. You know, I think the Apostle Peter, I think he would agree with these assertions. And I think he would also agree and echo what we were talking about this morning. And he would say, yes, glorify God by following Jesus. The first part of our mission statement here at Centennial is to glorify God by following Jesus. We want to be a church that's corporately follow, you know, glorifying God by following Jesus. We want to be individuals who glorify God by following Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen.